We're going to be in Acts chapter 24 as we continue in our Acts series. As we regularly do, we're going to begin our time with the reading of the text together. And as we read, this is a very short passage. Unlike some of the other passages, this passage is about this big. Uh, but I do want you to pay very careful attention. As, as we read through this text, I want you to pay careful attention to the different ways we see two characters, it's kind of three, but that pay attention to Paul and Felix and how they respond to the gospel. So please follow along with me. Words will be on the screen, uh, but we're going to be in Acts 24, starting in verse 22. This is what the text says. But Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off, saying, When Lysias the tribune comes down, I will decide your case. Then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody, but have some liberty, and that that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed. And he said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. At the time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. And desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. Please join me again in prayer. Dear God, we we come before you this morning confessing again that it is only through the blood of Jesus Christ that we can stand before you today. We thank you for passages like the one that we just read that remind us that you provided for us in the way that we could never provide for ourselves. So we thank you for Jesus, that he gives new life for anyone who repents and believes in you. Teach us to understand how you you allow things like fear to lead us to the good news of great joy that is Christ Jesus. And we thank you again that this good news is available to all people, everyone from anywhere. And for that, we pray for those who have not yet placed their trust in you, for those who have not yet heard of the peace that only Christ can bring. We pray, Lord, that you work grace in their hearts this morning. Their knowledge of you leads to a saving faith in Jesus. And as we regularly do, we we pray for our children here this morning that that you have blessed our church with, and we pray that they would come to know Jesus at a young age, and that you would spare them from seasons of rebellion. Please grow in them a desire to know you, and we, we pray for all those that are serving all over campus. May you bring them fresh joy in their service this morning. And again, for the weak, the hurting, may, may your peace May your strength abound. 
We pray those, for those that are continually fighting sickness, battling it, and even those recovering. We, we pray that they find comfort that only comes through knowing you more and more, deeper and deeper and day by day. We pray for all the family members and medical staff who are caring for them. May you be their strength, their source of rest. Guide them in their times of frustration, in times of defeat, and bring them also fresh joy and the strength that only comes from you and your bounding grace. We thank you and we pray for the handful of middle school students that, that join us from week to week, and may you carry them through the struggles that they face day to day. And may you continually draw them to know your grace in Christ. We pray for all those who are married, those with young families, and especially those who are struggling in their marriages. Lord, may you grant them wisdom. Reveal to them their sin and guide them in your grace and restore their joy. We pray for our young singles and the college students. May you protect them as they travel home for Christmas. And Lord, may you sustain them during stressful times. Be with them in their celebrations with family and delight them in knowing your nearness. And Lord, for those who are new this morning visiting us, we pray that you guide them to experience the immeasurable joy of salvation this morning. We pray that you guide us as we study your word, and we pray all these things in the power of Christ's name. Amen. Amen, amen. If this is your first time joining us, welcome. We've been journeying through this series through the book of Acts entitled, Becoming His Church. And I love that we're able to still continue this journey, even during this time that a lot of churches are identifying Advent. But what we're doing right now is we're going chapter by chapter through the book of Acts, going verse by verse, witnessing Luke's record of the birth and the development of the church. So talk about church history. This is Church History 101. Our goal in this series is to become not just any church, but God's church through the study of His Word and the power of His Holy Spirit. Let's orient ourselves a little bit. We live in a time where many people think that the gospel, if you're taking notes, this is one of the things that you can write in the blank, but we live in a time where many people think the gospel is only for non-Christians. Now, this statement is partially true. The gospel is for non-Christians because it leads them to understand their ultimate need for Jesus, but the gospel is even more for Christians. Yes, the gospel is the powerful message that brings non-Christians to start their new life in Christ, but it is also what sustains them in their new life. You see, the more and more Christians understand the gravity of what took place on the cross, the more and more they will be spurred on to serve Jesus. One pastor writes that this desire is not out of legalism. This desire to serve does not come out of fear or dread, but simply out of joyful appreciation. It's like saying, look what he did for me. This is the gospel at work. 
Because the gospel is both for non-Christians as well as for Christians alike, we must take every opportunity to respond to the gospel. Christians, those who are not Christians yet, again, we must take every opportunity to respond to the gospel. This section in chapter 24 picks up where we left off last week and the weeks before and tells us how after Paul finishes his public defense speech, he then spends two years in custody ministering to the Roman governor, Felix. In the previous chapter, even before this, Paul was escorted under heavily armed guard to Caesarea, where he would be tried before the provincial governor, Felix. Paul was on trial simply because he proclaimed the gospel. He was faithful to the gospel message, and his enemies wished to silence him. The trial began with many clever attacks against Paul, many of which were lies that were fabricated by this underhanded lawyer, Tertullus. He was hired by the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leadership, to sweet-talk Governor Felix into sentencing Paul to his death. But when Felix had heard enough, he dismissed everybody except Paul. In a sense, this was going to be a form of house arrest that inadvertently made a way for Paul to share the gospel before Felix and his wife. One of the other things that's unique to this section in Acts is that this is one of the most commented on sections of Scripture from outside sources. Of the four great historians of antiquity, we have Suetonius, Tacitus, Josephus, and even Luke, the doctor here. All four write about this significant moment that Felix has with Paul. In fact, it was Tacitus who records this, that this is the most important thing that had ever happened to this one man, Governor Felix. Also unique to this passage is the setting that Paul finds himself in. Many scholars suggest that while Paul is kept in custody here for two years, he could have written Colossians, Ephesians, Philemon, Philippians, and 2 Timothy. Some other scholars also suggest that Luke, the guy that's writing this book here, that Luke, Dr. Luke, was one who leveraged Paul's imprisonment here for two years to gather more information for writing the book of Luke and the, Luke, uh, and the book of Acts. It's also interesting to note the way that Luke finishes chapter 24, because it seems to contrast the responses of both Felix and Paul. So it is here that Paul shows us how to share the gospel, and Felix and his wife show us how not to receive the gospel. The title of the sermon this morning, as I've mentioned earlier, is Take Every Opportunity to Respond to the Gospel. And again, we will be in Acts 24, verses 22 through 27. Let me talk about my hopes real quick. For those of you who are, who are not a Christian, let's start with you guys. For those who are not Christian this morning, my hope for you this morning is twofold. Firstly, I hope that by the end of our time here together this morning, that you will have a greater understanding of what it means to follow Jesus Christ. And not only that, secondly, my hope is that you will follow Jesus yourself and that you will know him yourself 
as your personal Lord and Savior today. Keep that in mind as we talk about some of these facts, as I give you an exhortation at the end, but also Christians. My hope is that you will not only witness Paul's great example of gospel sharing, but that you yourselves would examine your gospel sharing practices. For this, I want to emphasize the positive example of Paul and the negative, the tragic example of Felix in the responses to the good news of the gospel. What does the text say? Paul exemplified what it meant for Christians to respond to the gospel. How did he do this? In summary, he shared it. This is the way that Christians respond to the gospel. They share the good news. The first thing that I wish to highlight this morning is that Paul demonstrated how to share the gospel in three instructive ways. First, Paul shares the gospel with boldness with boldness. And to to understand the kind of boldness, we're going to have to kind of step away for, for just a second. We're going to try to understand what boldness we're referring to here. It, it would be helpful for us to know a little bit more about this guy, Felix. It's hard to measure boldness when we don't understand who the opponent is. So who is Felix? Felix was considered one of the higher-ups in Roman social order, hence the title that he was given earlier, most excellent. So at the apex of Roman society, it was the emperor, it was Claudius himself, and Felix was his representative. And Felix was situated as the governor of Caesarea, and he had quite the background. Ancient historians, like the two that we mentioned earlier, both record that Felix was born into slavery, but he was unusually elevated to the position of governor. He was a corrupt and incompetent one at that. He was infamously known for his brutality and his ruthless behavior, especially towards the Jews. And it was in the ways that he wiped out the Jews who stood against Rome. He wanted to protect himself. In fact, Josephus records that he repeatedly and mercilessly crucified leaders of various uprisings. So it's because of his lack of character that historical records reveal that he was widely despised by not only the Jews, but also by the Romans. Paul is now standing before this man, one-on-one, and he's awaiting his final verdict. That's boldness right there. Luke writes that Felix had a rather accurate knowledge of the way. And there's, there's a lot of questions that can be asked about that description. But in short, it suggests something. It, it seems to suggest that his understanding of Christianity came from someone. That it possibly came from Drusla, his wife, who was raised a Jew. Felix would have known that Christians were not looking for a political revolution and that they were not a threat to to Roman rule. He would have also recognized that all the charges against Paul were baseless. But Felix also knew that he was going to get political backlash if he had set Paul free. The Jewish leaders would have been infuriated, and Felix could not afford further unrest in his jurisdiction. 
Therefore, in verse 22, Felix adjourns, and he says this, when Lysias the tribune comes down, I'll decide your case. This implied that he needed more information and was willing to wait. He was going to wait until Lysias came to Caesarea. But keep in mind, keep in mind, as fair as that sounds, Felix already had a letter from Lysias with great description. So it is unlikely that there was anything additional that Lysias could even add. And because Luke never recorded Lysias ever coming, it's probable that this was just a political smokescreen, allowing him to excuse himself from making a final decision and just to stall. So, in order to appease the Jewish authorities, Felix gave orders to the centurion to keep Paul in custody. Because Paul was a Roman citizen with a previous good standing, he was treated as such. This was not special privilege in that regard. He was treated as a common Roman citizen. And Felix ordered that Paul could have some freedom and his friends would be allowed to visit him to bring him food, maybe other basic necessities while he was in custody. And this would have meant that though Paul was a guarded prisoner, he was not in isolation. And according to some manuscripts, it was Felix's wife who urged Felix to summon Paul. We don't know that, but whether or not this is true, there was something about Paul Something about this guy that intrigued Felix. So after some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusla, and sent for Paul. Drusla, like Felix's other wives, was a princess. She was the daughter of King Agrippa I. We got to talk about her a little bit on Wednesday night. So this is the quick plug time. Uh, we'd love you guys to join us on Wednesday nights where we get to take deep dives and talk more about the text. Um, so uh, you'll find more information about that here in a little bit. But Jerusalem would have been his third wife, and Felix would be Jerusalem's second husband. As one New Testament scholar writes, Felix's ambitious and pretentious nature was nowhere demonstrated more clearly than in his marriages. There's politics for you right there. <laughs> historical records revere Jerusalem for her remarkable beauty. This is where it starts to get a little strange. She was a teenager when Felix persuaded her to leave her first marriage in order to come and live with him and his illicit lover and eventually his wife. And as many scholars commented, they must have been a major source of gossip in Palestine. When Paul was brought to Felix and Jerusalem, he used this opportunity how? To share the gospel message with them. Again, I want to emphasize, we're going to step back to my points. Again, I want to emphasize that there are three instructive ways that Paul shared the gospel to them. And as I mentioned earlier, readers witness how Paul shared the gospel with boldness. Paul had the opportunity to shrink back from his message. He had the opportunity to withdraw from his defense speech. And once again, he had another out. In fact, this is one of the most corrupt politicians known for his ruthless track record towards Jews. And Paul could have easily paid his way out of this situation to face another day. 
Perhaps Felix himself was waiting for Paul to fold. He's like, this guy, he won't last. Give him another out. Give him another chance to leave. But what we find is that Paul did not change his message for Felix because the gospel doesn't change. His public message to the masses was the same as his private message to Felix. What was this message? Paul spoke to Felix and his wife about the faith in Christ Jesus. See, many, many translations, they don't include that definite article, the faith. Luke is using this summary statement, the faith, to communicate that Paul spoke the gospel with them and discussed with them what Christians believe. Christians, speaking to you guys, Christian, do you hesitate to share the gospel when situations prove too intimidating? Do your knees buckle when you attempt to stand boldly for the truth? You know, for, for those who struggle with amassing the right amount of gospel boldness, consider the encouragement of Dwight L. Moody. The evangelist Dwight L. Moody commented that the gospel is like a lion. The gospel is like a lion. That all the preacher has to do is open the door of the cage and get out of the way. This is the encouragement part. Ultimately, our boldness isn't what saves people. It's not even our ability to convince them. It's not our rhetoric. It's not our philosophy. What saves them? It's the powerful message of the gospel. And this is what we unleash through faithful witness. See, we, we don't have to drum up this kind of boldness. We simply need to show them the gospel and then get out of the way. Some have asked me, but what if that's not enough? Christian, we do not peddle a weak gospel. This is the power of God unto salvation. Therefore, Christian, again, share the gospel with boldness. Secondly, Paul shared the gospel to them with clarity. This would be your next blank. Paul shared the gospel to them with clarity. See, Paul knew the lifestyles of Felix and Jerusalem, and so he specifically discussed with them what Scripture teaches regarding righteousness, self-control, and the coming judgment. And the goal of highlighting God's holiness, man's sinfulness, and the coming judgment was to show Felix and Jerusalem how much they needed Jesus. Paul wasn't telling them that they needed to change their lifestyle. He wasn't telling them to improve their morals. Paul wasn't giving them the hidden formula on how to save your best life for now. Why? Because the gospel is not a self-help program. The gospel is God's story. Visitor, non-believer, brothers and sisters in Christ as well, if this is the gospel message that has been communicated to you, I want to clarify, 
That's not the gospel. Or perhaps you feel as though you're reasonably a good person, and that the message of following Jesus is just kind of the icing on the cake. Friend, the Bible is clear that we, all of humanity, are born sinners. We're born sinners, and we also sin. And it is because we are born sinners that we're deserving of God's wrath, deserving of eternal death. And nothing, nothing at all that we could do can make us right before God. Again, nothing, absolutely nothing. That's what makes the bad news bad. But what makes the good news so good? It's that God already had a plan in place. Praise God. God provided, as we sung earlier, God provided the ultimate sacrifice to die in our place. This was His offering. And His name is Jesus, God the Son. This is why we celebrate Christmas. As Dr. Lawson famously said, Jesus did not come to create a holiday. He was born to die for sinners. That's what we celebrate. He died the death we should have died, and he took on the full wrath of God that was in our place in order that we can have a new life, a born-again life in him. As Spurgeon once eloquently said, the Scripture does not say you must be improved. It says you must be born again. So if you're not a Christian this morning, we're so thankful to have you here. And perhaps this is the first time that you've heard the gospel. I want to exhort you, as I will exhort you later on, turn to Christ Receive new life from Him. This is the message that Paul was clarifying for them, that it is because of their sin that they are deserving of God's wrath, and there was no way that they could appease God's wrath on their own merit. See, God cannot be bought. He cannot be swayed. He cannot be manipulated. And this certainly was, as we, as we described earlier, this was a bold move for Paul. And his love to declare this message to them, it's unquestionable. He genuinely desired for them to repent, even if it meant his death. As one pastor commented, none of these points were popular then, nor are they today. The gospel continues to offend people, but we must be more concerned about offending Christ than culture. Christian, back to you. Do you compromise the truth of the gospel in order to appease others, to make others feel more accepted? Have you fallen into the temptation of sanding off the sharp corners of the gospel that were meant to be rigid and perfectly placed. And reaching out to your lost friends and family, are you straightforward with them about the weight of their sin and the glory of God's Son? Or have you been duped into the belief that the gospel proclamation can be done without talking about sin? Christian, 
You must speak His Word with clarity, or else non-believers will never understand God's holy standard, man's abounding inability to meet it, and their abounding need for Christ. Thirdly, Paul shared the gospel with a call to repentance, a call to repentance. It would seem that this corrupt governor and his wife wanted Paul to entertain them with his ability to teach, but instead, Paul proclaimed the gospel in hopes that they would repent and that they would turn to Jesus. And by emphasizing the coming judgment, perhaps he communicated thoughts that he would later write, later express in Romans, like the passage that we see that none is righteous, no, not one, or for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness, they suppress the truth. We're kind of talking about this earlier this morning in Eric's class. Uh, I'm reminded of the story of the English reformer Hugh Latimer. As one historian records, Latimer often preached before King Henry VIII. And on one occasion, Latimer offended the king with his boldness. So he was commanded by the king to preach the following weekend and make an apology. But the story continues that on the next Sunday, rather than forfeiting his biblical views to appease the king, get this, Latimer read the same text again and then proceeded to preach the same sermon that he had previously preached the week before. He was looking for a way to present the gospel, a way for him to repent of his sin. He cared about the king's repentance. Again, quoting from the Spurge, the Spurge writes that this time, though, when Latimer spoke it, he spoke it with even more energy. It is because of this bold witness that Latimer was burned at the stake by King Henry. Oddly enough, Latimer survived, only to find himself preaching once again. Did his gospel message change? No. And if it did, it was considered more bold. He faithfully preached the gospel that people are made right by God, not by their works, not by their merit, but only by placing their faith in Christ Jesus. And it was because of this message, Queen Mary also had Latimer, along with two other ministers, burned at the stake on October 1555. Perhaps this was the passage that drove them to faithful witness. See, this, this right here, this is the type of boldness and clarity that Paul had. This is the heart that Paul had as he called Felix and Jerusalem to repentance, to turn away from their sin and turn to Christ. So Christian, my exhortation to you this morning is, is one thing. Share the gospel with boldness, with clarity, and with the call to repentance. Now that we've talked about Paul, let's switch gears a bit. Where, where, where Paul serves as a model on how believers should 
share the gospel, respond to the gospel, Felix and his wife show non-believers how not to receive the gospel. In summary, they rejected it. They rejected the gospel. So, I want to highlight two fatal errors that come from delaying your response to the gospel. And again, if you're not a believer this morning, out of love, out of grace, out of my desire to see you come to know Christ in a saving way, I want to share these with you. Please pay attention to this. For those of you that are Christians that have non-believing family members that you're going to be seeing this next week as you celebrate Christmas, I want you to pay attention to this, that hopefully these are the things that will help spur you on to share the gospel with boldness, with clarity, and a call to repentance. So first, we see Felix respond to the gospel with procrastination. Procrastination. Look at the way Felix responds to the gospel in verse 25. As Paul reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed. This Greek word, word uh, alarmed, it's not positive. It refers to this intense, intense fear that overcame Felix. And this is, this is Felix. He is now aware. He's now aware of God's holiness. He's aware of his sinfulness, his impending judgment before God. And it terrified him. But his terror did not lead him to ask Paul for the remedy, the good news of the gospel. No, instead, Felix commanded Paul to stop talking. He told Paul, go away for the present. But the truth of the gospel continued to nag at him. So in verse 26, Luke records that Felix sent for Paul often and conversed with him. For those of you guys that grew up on the west side, <laughs> like a Kiave thorn in your slipper, Felix continued to feel the sting of the gospel with every step that he took, but he never confronted the truth of the gospel that pained him. Felix continued this for two years. Maybe some of you have been told the gospel by Christians for years only to find yourself quickly saying something along the lines of, I know, I know, I, I, I've heard this before, or possibly, oh, no, 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 not, 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 not this message again. If that's you this morning, even you guys watching online, listen closely. One of the fatal errors that come from this form of a delayed response is that repetition desensitizes, we can say numbs, truth's potency. Repetition desensitizes truth's potency. As one scholar comments, some who have heard the good news for years and years still greet extraordinary truth with a yawn. Notice that Felix heard the gospel multiple times, but he only trembled once. Out of God's grace, you might hear the good news of the gospel again, but you might not feel the same conviction again. Friend, 
Turn to Christ today. Second, we see Felix respond to the gospel in another way, with indifference. Felix responds to the gospel with indifference. Look at verse 25. Felix commands Paul to go away for now and says to Paul, when I get the opportunity, I will summon you. Not calling out anyone here, but if you're a student who struggles with procrastination, you know the dangers of the phrase, when I get an opportunity, I will. It usually means another all-nighter, a third cup of coffee, and an assignment submission just seconds before the deadline. For Felix, this phrase has a much greater danger. You see, he recognizes his need to respond to the gospel, and yet, with indifference, he brushes it off for a more convenient time. He's not considering the urgency of this moment. The fatal error that comes from this form of delayed response is that hardened hearts and misunderstanding develop when truths are not acted upon. This observation is not just for unbelievers, it's for believers as well that recognize the call to gospel ministry to evangelize others, but I want to focus specifically on the non-Christians. This is a big danger, this form of delayed response that it leads to your hardened heart, that it leads to misunderstanding of what the truth actually is. Let's look at Felix. Felix did not act upon the truth of the gospel with urgency. This is what hardened him in such a way that he misunderstood the gospel. See, the more and more Felix put off the truth, the more and more he believed that the gospel's potency, that it could be locked away under his control. As one theologian says, we, can't put callu- or we can put calluses on our consciences, we can do everything in our power to suppress, to repress the Word of God, we can flee from it. We can silence those who deliver it, but we can never destroy the power of the gospel. Some believe that Felix was not only indifferent to the gospel, but he was overcome by his greed. This is why the text said that he was hoping for money. But I understand verse 26 a little bit differently. Verse 26 says that Felix hoped that money would be given him by Paul, so he sent for Paul often and conversed with him. I believe that this goes beyond his greed. Felix hoped that Paul would just give him the money, that Paul would just break the law and that he would no longer have to deal with Paul again. Like a very popular movie, Felix just wanted to be freed from his prisoner. Why? Because that prisoner continued to share the troubling truth of his sin, God's judgment, and his ultimate need for Christ. He probably thought, If only Paul had slipped, it would have allowed Felix to be freed from his guilt, freed from hearing the convicting message of Paul, and free to go on with the normal patterns of his life. But something that Felix seems to misunderstand is that these opportunities to respond to the gospel 
it will not always be there. So despite Felix's hopes, the bribe never came. Paul never folded. The last we hear of Felix is that he wished to safeguard his career by leaving Paul in prison. Verse 27 explains how after two years of meetings with Paul, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. It is believed that because of Felix's long history uh, of administrative incompetence, his past had finally caught up with him. He was recalled by his superior, Emperor Nero now, and by, leaving, by, by Felix leaving Paul in prison, Felix hoped to curry favor with the Jews. It was the Jewish leadership who reported him to Nero. Maybe he could still win them over by leaving Paul in prison. Where Felix is the tragic example of how not to receive the gospel, I don't want to end this way this morning. I want you to focus on someone that we talked about a few months ago. So where Felix is the tragic example of how not to receive the gospel, the Philippian jailer is a wonderful example of how to receive the gospel. Those who are not Christian pay careful attention to this. The way that Luke records both of these narratives, they're astoundingly similar. Felix and the Philippian jailer are confronted with great, great fear. But instead of delaying like Felix, the jailer allowed his fear to catapult him into action. See, it was out of this fear that the Philippian jailer asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? If you have not yet received the truth of the gospel, consider the instructive actions of this jailer. Don't allow this moment to pass. As one pastor writes, Felix stands for all time as a tragic example of a missed opportunity. If you have given into the temptation of delaying a response to the gospel, heed this warning in Hebrews. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Non-Christian, my exhortation is one. My exhortation to you is to take heed the tragic example of Felix and turn to Christ with urgency. In conclusion, if, if you are not a Christian this morning, I want to urge you again, turn to Christ because it is only in Him that you will be saved. My hope, again, for you this morning is that you will not only have a greater understanding of what it means to follow Jesus, but that you will follow Jesus and know Him personally as your Lord, your Savior today. Do not procrastinate in your response to the gospel another day. Turn to Him. Trust Him as your Lord and Savior today. So friend, visitor, take every opportunity to respond to the gospel. Christians, now I turn to you. Now that you have had a chance to witness Paul's great example of gospel sharing, I want you to examine your own gospel sharing practices. Brothers and sisters in Christ, have you fallen into the trap of believing 
that you have heard it all already. It's possible that you have not only stopped growing in your pursuit of God, but you have also stopped growing in your gospel mission. If that is you this morning, don't give up. Don't delay like Felix delayed. I pray that your recognition of this moment, I pray that your alarm will lead you to repentance and growth in gospel mission. For other Christians, maybe you find it difficult to find boldness to share the gospel. I want to encourage you. Remember that this isn't about your boldness. It's not your boldness that saves people. It's God. You are called to simply be a faithful messenger. Step back and watch the gospel at work. Remember, you do not peddle a weak gospel. And secondly, share the gospel with clarity. Christian, you must point out God's holiness, man's sinfulness, and the coming judgment in order to show others their need for Jesus. Remember, the gospel is offensive to others because it points out man's sin and their dependency on Jesus Christ. But don't fold. Don't compromise the truth with a half gospel. Don't fall into the temptation of making the gospel comfortable. Share with them the whole counsel of God. Show them the gospel and be straightforward with them about their sin and the glory of Christ. And finally, share the gospel with a call to repentance. Remember that when we share the gospel, it's not just a delightful story for bedtime. The gospel is God's story, inviting everyone from everywhere to be a part of God's family, the church, in the bond of Christ under His blood. When we share the gospel, we must remember that it is a call to respond within itself. So Christian, take every opportunity to respond to the gospel. This is what it means to respond to the gospel, and this is what it means to be His church. Praise God.